Well, welcome here. Uh, my name is Jer. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And oh man, these little kids are so good. We were praying for you guys. Uh, I got to wear my glasses because I've been wearing them all week and it's like now everything's just fuzzy. So now you're really fuzzy because looking out into you is, is just fuzziness. But if you would turn to your, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27, verse 32 to 46 is what we're going to read. This is the text we're in. This is one of the ones that, man, it has been plaguing me for this last week um, <clears throat> because it is uh, one of the harder sayings of Christ uh, there's actually a book called Harder Saying, Hard, Hard Sayings of Christ, and this is in that book. It is one of those ones that is uh, difficult to comprehend when you first take a glance at it for sure and wrestle with it. So let's look at uh, this text together, Matthew 27, starting in verse 32. So as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, they compelled this man to carry his cross. I'm not sure what that looked like, compelling a man to pick up a cross for the sake of death for another. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they, the guards, sat down and kept watch over him there, and over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on, on the right and one on the left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You, who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let, let God deliver him now, if, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the word of God. So let's pray. Uh, Jesus, these are hard words to understand. You, God, claiming to God that you have been forsaken. Jesus, I pray that uh, you will soften our hearts, that you will open them in ways that maybe we, they've never been opened to before, to your truths and to your amazing sacrifice for us. As, as Jordan and, and Steph led us in song, uh, leading us to the cross glorifying your name and, and ultimately saying that you are the fulfillment. And so, Jesus, I just pray that as I, as I teach this text, lead me, help me, um, use me uh, for the sake of your glory and not mine, and that we will be softened to this amazing word of, of you, and it will change us. And I pray this in your precious name. Amen. 
Well, uh, like I said, this is a text that I've been wrestling with all week, and it's one that is, uh, is, is burdened me. Uh, we, Jody and I have actually been traveling to community groups, and in one of the community groups, I, I actually mentioned people were going around and praying for one another, and if you're not in a community group, you need to be in one and be prayed for one another. And in, in this gr- group, they asked for prayer requests. And, and, and I opened up my heart to them and I said, well, uh, even all go- going back all the way to last Sunday, the Sunday previous this one, uh, I w- I've gotten my truck and I was driving to church and I had this overwhelming, dark abandonment in my heart. And I don't know where it was from. And it was this deep, heavy feeling that I've never had before. And all I could think about was this, and maybe it was God giving me a, a taste of what maybe he experienced on the cross, I don't know, but there's nothing that, it, that you can actually taste that he tasted. See, so abandonment, I started thinking about this word, and I, I'd be curious to what, that, what you might think of this word when you hear the word abandonment. Like what comes across your mind when you hear this word abandonment and there's different ways of abandonment different things that we feel abandoned from uh like maybe i remember as a little kid i lost my mom and dad uh at a mall or a peony i can't remember which one it was but we were we were walking and i just remember being lost i remember being abandoned feeling like that abandonment i lost sight of my mom and dad i lost their hand that gave me comfort and i lost the visual of seeing them around, and I felt this deep burden in my heart of abandonment. I've also experienced it as a teenager walking through the halls of school. Um, I knew a lot of people, played on a lot of the sports teams, and had a great time with a lot of my friends, but there's moments in time where I would walk through the halls at lunchtime looking for someone to sit with, and everybody's paired up, and no one really wanted it, no one was calling me over, and, and feeling abandoned. Uh, there's some of you that have walked through horrific moments of abandonment that we claim as and call abuse, whether it be physical, verbal, emotional, or mental abuse. You've walked through this. Maybe years ago, maybe you're currently walking through this in, in a marriage that is hurting and, and broken, where someone in authority or trusted friend uses you for their gain and then, discur- and then discards you. Or crying out for help through means of self-harm, sexual promiscuity, alcohol, binging on food or a substance, longing for that one friend to notice. Your cry of abandonment in the soul. See, abandonment comes in all forms, and I'll soon argue one that Jesus can relate to, but abandonment is not a word you associate with really anything good. Unless, of course, you are in the, in the control seat. You have things in your life that you are wanting to abandon, that you are giving up, that you are forsaking for the sake of good and righteous actions, and you're abandoning And sometimes you can abandon things for the sake of evil as well. But if you're in that position, abandonment might mean something different for you entirely. But this passage I began with that leads us to our fourth cry from the cross, the series that we're in, as you can see on the screen, is is a story of righteous perfect and just abandonment. Earlier in the story, Jesus was abandoned by his disciples who still didn't get fully what Jesus was saying and teaching them. 
If you go back to Matthew chapter 16, in verses 21 through 23, it reads, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, all mentioned in our text this morning, and be killed on the third day and be raised. This is Jesus. None of us can do this, by the way. Jesus proclaiming future events to take place. This is a symbol of his godlike characteristic traits. He could tell the future. He knew what was going to happen. He was teaching his disciples about this. And they responded with, well, Peter did anyways. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter those amazing words. I can't imagine what Peter would have felt like hearing this. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, I'm sure every one of us probably would have acted like Peter in some way, right? Like this is, your, this is your teacher, this is your rabbi, this is the one you've been following. This is the one that is actually healing people from death into life. This is touching people and causing their blindness to go away. It's coming up to people that have been 40 years laying crippled on the ground and then saying words and then walking. And he says, I have to go to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. Far be it. Not on my watch. See, if you remember the story, Jesus again rebuked Peter in the garden for trying to win the battle with the sword. Jordan touched on this, or I think it was Norm uh, touched on this, cutting the, I can't remember who it was, but one of, the, one of those shorter guys up on stage uh, that had hair. <clears throat> uh, but they... Uh, touched on cutting the ear off of one of the soldiers and Jesus instantly healing him. Not your plan, Peter. See, earlier rebuking the disciples for sleeping as well when he had asked them to pray. See, the disciples in the hour most needed abandoned Jesus. They forsook him and scattered looking for protection and safety. Looking for protection and safety for themselves. Like, isn't that what most often comes into play? Like what's best for me, protection and safety? We pray it all the time, right? Like, Lord, protect me. We talked about this in another community group this week. See, Jesus wasn't only abandoned by his disciples in this text that we read, the closest ones to him, but abandoned in the text we read is by the guards, the criminals crucified alongside him, those traveling past, the onlookers, the chief priests, which should have known the scripture, the prophecies, 300 plus of them, 27 of them fulfilled on this day. The scribes, the elders, the disciples all abandoned Jesus in the hour that had finally come and they got lost in what they thought would be best. They got lost in what they thought would be best. Do we get lost in the best outcome that we create? Think about that. Do we get lost in the best outcome that we, we create? Like, do you have an outcome of what your life is going to look like? You have an outcome of what you want to accomplish. 
You have an outcome of your financial security and how you're going to fulfill this. You possibly have an outcome of the rest of today. Like I asked some of you, like what's your plans for the rest of today? And sometimes you talk with assurance, right? This is what I'm going to do later on. This is what I will do. And the kicker is you think that plan is the best for you, right? That's the best plan. 55 years ago, woman on the screen, you probably recognize her, Johnny Erickson Tata. Maybe some of you do, some of you don't. I asked uh, Tristan back there, and he has no idea who she is, but he's going he's to look her up. 55 years ago, she went swimming with her friends at the age of 17. She jumped into a lake uh, thinking she was going to have some fun with her friends that day. That was the best plan in her mind. She hit the bottom of that lake and was paralyzed from the neck down for the rest of her life. See, Joni's life was changed. Joni is now 72 years old, still confined to a wheel, wheelchair, but because of that accident, that probably in the moment she thought was the worst thing that could ever happen to her, was probably actually the best thing that could ever happen to her and also to millions of people. She, she's affected change in millions of people from her art, which she paints with her mouth, from the books that she read, reads and writes, to the, to the conferences, conferences that she speaks at, to the mission organizations that she has started. But I can say probably with 99% accuracy, give or take 0.01%, I don't know, 99.9%, .9%, that if you went back in time and talked to Joni at 17 years old before she jumped into that lake and you said, hey, uh, would you rather jump into the lake with your friends at 17 or jump into the lake with your friends and be paralyzed for the rest of your life? Pretty sure she would choose the first one. See, do we get lost in what we think is best for us? Forgetting the call of God. See, isn't this where the why question comes from? Like when something hits us and flips our expectations upside down, we ask why, right? High school kids, for sure, right? When mom and dad say, hey, we're going to McDonald's after. And then you drive past McDonald's right to your house and you're going, hey, dad, you said we're going, but yeah, plans changed. It's devastating, right? Expectations have been lost, Right? I went into McDonald's the other day, which I had no idea, but I went into McDonald's because we're waiting for Brady coming back from the sea bus, that little McDonald's there. They don't have a shake machine. Brutal. I went in to get a shamrock shake. No shake machine here, sir. It's like, I'm out of here. Expectations are broken. But in this story, Jesus knew this was coming. Right? He knew it was coming. Throughout his ministry, Jesus repeated the saying, My hour has not yet come. Remember in the garden, he, while sweating blood, cries out to God, asking for relief, knowing that he must swallow from the cup that was filled with the pure, unadulterated justice of the one and only holy God, saying, If at all possible, Father, remove this cup from me. He knew it was coming. This is one of the most weighty texts of Scripture as we as mere humans get to read and try to comprehend. And God's ways are far greater than ours. 
One man 500 years ago named Martin Luther read this text and he walked away from it going, God forsaking God? What man can understand that? So with this very daunting task, let's do our best with the guidance of the Holy Spirit to see what we can glean from this text. As we navigate this text in part, here are three questions I hope to answer. Why the dark? Why the why? And then why the substitution, which we'll talk about. So why the dark? Well, it's important to note in this text that this should, be, this should have been one of the brightest times of day. Um, the sixth hour, as we read, refers to noon because in the custom of the day, the hours began at sunrise around 6 a.m. So 6 plus 6 is 12. You got noon, right? The sixth hour is noon o'clock. The ninth hour is 3 p.m. So in Matthew 27, 45, when it reads, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness, over all the land until the ninth hour. Now Jesus was hung on the cross at hour number three, all the way till hour number nine. And at the sixth hour, it became dark. So as you may know, darkness through the story of God is referred to as judgment or a separation from God. This isn't the first time, friends. This is not the first time that the sun was blotted out from the sky, not by an eclipse, but by the very hand of God. In the story of the Exodus, the second book of our scriptures, we see Pharaoh lining up in a fight against God. Like, pretty humorous, actually, right? Like, you see Pharaoh lining up with a fight against God. It would be kind of like me and Tristan going at it one-on-one. Right, Tristan? About 5'9", 10, I don't know, about 140, 50 pounds. I'm 6'7", 270. That would be a dangerous fight for Tristan. I, I'm, I'm, and he's shaking his head no, but we'll, maybe we can wrestle later and we can all get in a big circle. It'll be great fun for me. Uh, but but this, is, this is what happened in, in the story of the Exodus. Pharaoh lines up with God. Like, uh, unmatched, like, he's unmatched. There's no way you can mess with the creator of all things. And this is what take, takes place in Exodus 10, 21 through 23. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses... Stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. Not three hours, three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Interesting. God is the power of separating light from darkness. Land of Israel, the presence of God, light. The land of Egypt, the walking away from the, the presence, darkness. Not that you need more evidence that darkness was a symbol of holy judgment towards sin, but look at Isaiah 47, 5. Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called the mistress of kingdoms. In Matthew 8, this is a, a, a judgment against the nation. Matthew 8, 12 is a representation and a, a foreshadowing of what hell is going to be like. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Revelation 16, 10 as well, the fifth angel poured out his bowl, similar to a cup being poured out on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish. See, to be in the dark is to be separated from God the Father. It is the worst place to be. There's, there's, no other pla- there's no place that you want to be in the dark. So why is it dark over Jesus? 
Isn't he perfect? Is it not he God? Why is it dark? Well, it was dark for these three hours to remind us of this judgment of Pharaoh as a foreshadow of what was to come and to awaken us that all the prophecies of a coming Savior are being fulfilled at this very moment. But it is also dark because the perfect and holy justice of God is being poured out on his Son. Remember the night before, Jesus prayed, like I already mentioned, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And the will of the Father was to pour out the wrath the world deserved upon his son. Look at Isaiah 53, 4 and 6 on the screen there. This is written 500 years before Christ even was born. It says, surely he, was bo- he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken. These are the mockers around the cross, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, our sins. Interesting. He was crushed for whose? Our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all walked in rebellion. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Why the dark? It was God's judgment for the sin of the world poured out onto his Son. The lustful thoughts, the images that you scroll through on Instagram that you know you shouldn't be looking at the things on Facebook. The th- Let's go further. The thoughts in your head that haven't even come out verbally. The thoughts in your heart. Those all paid for on the cross. Our rebellion, our abandonment of the commands of God that led Jesus to the cross. The dark, the judgment of God was for you lovingly taken, lovingly taken by Jesus. So why the why? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the mystery that we cannot fully grasp. We grasp it in part, but again, like Martin Luther said, God forsaking God, who can understand that? Some have gone completely sideways while trying to explain this cry from Jesus by calling this action cosmic child abuse. This is false teaching, and it ends with the denial of penal substitutionary atonement, which every one of us, we need to understand fully as Christians. The penal substitutionary atonement. See, without the penalty paid, the substitution made, and the atonement for our sin, how else will we be saved? By our good works? A lot of Christians... I'm putting in quotes, Christians believe that they can get to heaven based on their works, based on their things that they've done, the good things, the good of their heart. I've had too many of those conversations. I don't don't want to awaken us if if you're here and you still believe that, that you can get to heaven by doing something good. Like how many good things do you have to do to pay off the lie that you told this week? 
How many good things do you need to do to pay off the lustful thought that you had this week? How many good things do you need to do to pay off the evil thought of your neighbor this week? See, sin needs to be paid for. Robert Rothwell gives some logical meaning to explain away this nonsense of cosmic child abuse. He says penal substitution is the supreme revelation of the glory of the Son of God. It is the clearest picture of the kind of God we serve, one who holds nothing back in order to redeem his children. In sending his Son to bear his wrath, the Father seeks the glory of the Son. He's glorifying his Son through this action. And then he, sh- he changes. And then he goes, if the cross is not the son's bearing of God's judgment in his humanity, we then have a creator. And this is, the, this is the trail you go if you believe this is cosmic child abuse. We have then a creator who refuses to glorify his son to the highest degree. We have a God who will not give all of himself to his children. Moreover, we have a father who sends his son to suffer as a man at the hands of men when our salvation could have come about another way. Now that is cosmic child abuse. So why the why? Well, because in the darkness, Jesus experienced the full wrath of God the Father for all of our sin. Think with me for a second. This is something that Jesus as fully man had yet to comprehend. Like up until this point, he and the Father are one, united perfectly. We have a hard time even grasping that. Like united perfectly. Jody and I have been married for 28 years, I think. Hard time still grasping united perfectly. See, the Trinity will never, like, or let me read this. John 14, 9 says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. This is a uniting that we just don't understand. See, the Trinity will never be broken apart. We need to hold on to that. The Trinity being God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Impossible to break that union. So Jesus is fully God. He could know what sin is. He can know what sin is. He can understand it. But being fully God, he would have never felt the punishment of it until this moment. Jesus, for the first time on the cross, experienced what complete abandonment to be forsaken, to be given up from God the Father feels like. Like, resonate on that a little bit. This is what Jesus did for you. He felt your sin fully to the depths of his soul. Jesus felt sin poured out over him and God the Father giving him up because of that sin. Why the why? This cry from Jesus was for us. Jesus, for the first time, experienced shame, condemnation, separation from his father so that we wouldn't have to. Knowing his father, he cries out to the only one in that moment that can save him. It was what we ought to do when we feel separated. I'm saying feel because you're not separated from the Lord. There's still light around us. The common grace of God surrounds us. He will never leave you nor forsake you, his scripture says. So it was was what 
we ought to do when feeling separated, cry out to the only God who hears, sees, and knows. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, the darkness, the darkness is the penalty. The why is the substitution. And the substitution is the atonement, the reconciliation to the eternal family of God. So why the substitution? Well, there is so much here that we can unpack and tie to the grand meta-narrative story of the Bible. But let me give you a a quick snapshot. And I've done this in my office in the past many times. But let me play God for a second. Is that okay? Okay, not not even close to what God looks like. But let me, I'm big so it helps. So God, all glory, eternally past, eternally future. There is no time limit on me. I am outside of time. And this phone represents all of the world, the creation, created order. I'm outside of the time. That's why I can say I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I see all things. And as I created this, all the angels and the hosts of heaven were just singing and proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In the palm of my hand, I can do these things. And so I created this world as my temple. And my temple is to glorify me. That's the reason for a temple. That's the reason for wor- it's the worship. It's to go to the temple to worship the creator. And so he created Adam to be the priest of the temple. And Adam wants to be the priest to 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 point all of creation back to the creator. To have dominion over the land and the sea and and all the animals and to to be an image bearer of the king. And to point all creation back to the Lord, the creator. So as the priest, this was his role. But as we see in Genesis chapter 3, Sin entered into the world, into the priest, he abandoned God. And he came up with a better plan, he thought. While in the temple, incredibly disgraceful to the temple that God had created for his worship, for the worship of all creatures to worship the creator. And Adam brought sin. And God in his mercy... Like think of, in his temple, he brought this sin, this devastation, this disgusting thing in. And in God's mercy, he said, I will sacrifice an animal. There needs to be bloodshed, but I can't put that on you or else you will die eternally. So I'm going to bring an animal and they're going to, um, we're going to shed the blood of an animal. and It's going to cover you as a symbol. It's going to cover you as a cleansing action. But this symbol, my friend Adam, is not good enough. To foreshadowing what is to come. So God sends Jesus as the perfect priest, the one in the order of Melchizedek, the eternal one to come, to bring in a new law of grace. And Jesus substitutes himself for what Adam should have paid. And pays it for himself. So God puts all of the wrath, pours all of the wrath 
of sin and death onto Jesus, the new priest, to pay for the penalty of sin, freeing us, making us righteous. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, the cry of Jesus' abandonment is the very cry of our adoption. The cry of Jesus' abandonment is the very cry of our adoption. Remember earlier I said abandonment comes in all forms, and I'll soon argue one that Jesus can relate to. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest, our new high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is our Jesus. And I would argue after his suffering and experiencing the abandonment of the Father on the cross, he understands it to a depth we only experience on the final judgment if we don't confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. If we live on that created order and we say, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing. That's a nice, fun story, but I'm just going to do my own thing anyways. I don't need that priest. I'm going to make my own gods. And that's what we see all throughout the world, making our own gods, making our own priestly kingdoms. And it's a small P priest who cannot pay the sacrifice that needs to take place. And so you deny God and you'll get exactly what you want. You want separation from a holy God. And that's what you're going to get. Complete darkness. Gnashing of teeth. This story brings each person to a fork in the road that has an eternal consequence. Either you believe and accept Jesus or you deny him. No one can make this decision for you. And I implore you, choose Jesus. Choose Jesus. I started with thoughts of abandonment, thoughts of being lost in the mall, thoughts of his teenagers uh, not able to have friends, not having friends that would sit with you, feeling abandoned at school, or maybe something like abuse or crying out for help through means of self-harm. I want you to know that Jesus, Jesus notices you. Jesus hears you. Jesus pursues you, and Jesus will not abandon or forsake you. Jesus has come that you might be found. See, we may get lost in what we think is best. But Jesus never swayed from what was best for God's kingdom. And that's what we are called to imitate, church. If your plans get messed up and switched and reorganized, it actually might be the best thing for you. Our hands ought to be open recognizing that God knows better than me? Am I willing to lay my life down for the sake of Christ? My health, my safety, my protection, whatever it might be for the kingdom of God. And if you're willing, then join the family and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, why don't we uh, stand as we close or 
or if you need a posture of kneeling or sitting or with your head in your hands, whatever posture you need to, to find, but confess your sin to Jesus today. Bring the things that maybe you have been working through this week and maybe you've been lost in the, the best for you. And you recognize now that actually it was, a, it was a trail that I went down that led me towards a heap load of sin. This is a safe place because guess what? All of us have done that. Every one of us. It's a safe place. So we can come together and we can pray for one another, confess our sins to one another, and be open with one another. This is what community group is all about. This is what church is all about. It's not a bunch of good people. It's a bunch of sinners coming together to sing to a holy God. So let's confess with one another. Let me pray. <clears throat> Jesus, I thank you so much for your amazing love for us. I thank you that you are uh, the perfect penalty for the sin that was committed, going all the way back to Adam. Thank you that you are the perfect substitution for the new priest and that you are our perfect atonement that you reconcile us back to the father that you not only pay for our sin but you you account all of your righteousness onto us and onto our account it, this is mind-blowing this is this is good 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 news and so jesus as we sing may our singing may our rejoicing may our confession may our May our action of forgiveness towards one another be, be sweet in your nostrils. Be a sweet incense to you as we uh, now living temples proclaim you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.